Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Peyton sure is tired this morning, huh? What time did you go to bed last night? She doesn't know. Summer really... She just likes this... Oh, you only watched an episode? It's so funny because we're reading this series of unfortunate events and she's watching them after we read them, huh? She watches them and falls asleep, huh? All right. The Oster Academy, a series of unfortunate events, book the fifth, chapter 11. If you've ever dressed up for Halloween or amended, attended a masquerade, you know that there is a certain thrill to wearing a disguise, a thrill that is half excited and half danger. I once attended the famed mask ball hosted by the Duchess of Winnipeg, and it was one of the most exciting and dangerous events of my life. I was disguised as a bullfighter and slipped into the party while being pursued by the palace guards, who were disguised as scorpions. The moment I entered the grand ballroom, I felt as if Lemony Snicket had disappeared. I was wearing clothes I had never worn before, a scarlet cape made of silk and a vest embroidered with golden silk and a shiny black mask, and it made me feel as if I were a different person. And because I felt like a different person, I dared to approach a woman who had been forbidden to approach for the rest of my life. She was alone on the veranda. The word veranda is a fancy term for porch made of polished gray marble. Hey, they had verandas when we went on the cruise, huh? Remember? No, she doesn't remember. Um, Porch, blah, 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 costume. Okay, polished marble and a costumed dragonfly with a glittering green mask and enormous sliver, silvery wings. As my pursuers scurried across the party, trying to guess which guest was me, I slipped out of the veranda and gave her the message I'd been trying to give her for 15 long, lonely years. Beatrice, I cried, just as a scorpion spotted me. Count Olaf is... I cannot go on. It makes me weep to think of that evening and of the dark, desperate times that followed. In the meantime, I'm sure that you're curious what happened the boat, to the Baudelaire's and the Quagmire triplets after dinner that evening at Prufrock Prep. This is sort of exciting, Duncan said, putting Klaus's glasses on his face. I know what we're doing for serious reasons, but I'm excited anyways. Isadora recited, tying Violet's ribbon in her hair. It may not be particularly wise, but it's a thrill to be disguised. That's not a perfect poem, but... I will have to do it. It will have to do under the circumstances. How do I look? The Baudelaire orphans took a step back and regarded the quagmire triplets carefully. It was just after dinner and the three children were standing outside the orphan shack, hurriedly putting on their risky plan to action. They had managed to sneak out of the into the cafeteria and steal a sunny-sized bag of flour from the kitchen while a metal mask cafeteria worker's backs were turned. Violet had also snitched a fork from the tea a, a fork, a few teaspoons and creamed spinach and a small potato, all of which she needed for her invention. Now she just had a few moments before the Bo- Baudelaire's, or in this case, the Quagmire's dressed up as the Baudelaire's, had to show up for sore. 
Duncan and Isadora handed over their notebooks so that the Baudelaire's could study for their comprehensive exams and switched shoes so the Quagmire's laps would sound exactly like the Baudelaire's. Now, with only seconds to spare, the Baudelaire's looked over the Quagmire's disguise and realized instantly just how risky this plan was. Isadora and Duncan Quagmire simply did not look much, very much like Violet and Klaus Baudelaire. Duncan's eyes were of a different color from Klaus's, and Isadora had a different hair than Violet's, even if it was tied up in a very similar way. Being triplets, the Quagmires were exactly the same height, but which actually is not true if you're a boy and a girl. Did you know that? Because you're not identical. You're just like siblings born at the same time, if anybody knew that. Because you can't be identical if you're a boy and a girl. Duh. Being triplets, the Quagmires were exactly the same height, but Violet was taller than Klaus because she was older. And there was no time to make small stilts, stilts for Isadora to mimic this height difference. But it wasn't really those small physical details that made the disguise so unconvincing. It was the simple fact that the Baudelaire's and the Quagmires were very different people, and a hair ribbon, a pair of glasses, and some shoes couldn't turn them into one another any more than a woman disguised as a dragon can actually fly, take wings, and escape this disaster awaiting her. I don't know how we... I don't know... I... I know we don't look much like you, Duncan admitted, after the Baudelaire's had been quiet for some time. But remember, it's quite dark in front of the lawn. The only light that's coming from the luminous... is coming from the luminous circle. We'll make sure to keep our heads down. We're... We're running. So our faces won't give us away. We won't speak a word to Coach Genghis, so our voices won't give us away. And we have your ribbon, glasses, and shoes, so our accessories won't give us away either. We don't have to go through this with this plan, Violet said directly. We appreciate your help, but, but we don't have to try and fool Genghis. My siblings and I could just could just run run away right now, tonight. We've got to be pretty good runners at this point, so we have a good head start on Coach Genghis. We could call Mr. Poe from a payphone somewhere, Klaus said. Zulu, Sunny said, which meant, or attend a different school under different names. These plans don't have a chance of working, Isadora said. From what you've told us, Mr. Poe isn't very helpful, and Count Olaf seems to find you wherever you go. So a different school wouldn't be helpful either. This is our only chance, Duncan agreed. If you pass this exam without arousing Genghis's suspicion, you'll be out of danger, and we can focus on the efforts exposing the coach for who he really is. I suppose you're right, Violet said. I just don't like the idea of putting your lives in such danger just to help us. Well, what are friends for, Isadora said. We're not going to attend some silly recital while you run laps in your room. You three were first, the first people at Proof Rock Prep who weren't mean to us just for being orphans. None of us have any family, so we've got to stick together. At least let us go, go with you to the front lawn, Klaus said. We'll spy on you from the archway, and we'll make sure that, fooling, that you're fooling Coach Genghis. Duncan shook his head. You have time to spy on us. You have to make staples out of those metal rods so study and study for the comprehensive exams. Oh, Isadora said suddenly, how, how will we drag this bag of flour on the track? We need a string or something. Well, we could just, like, kick it around the circle, Duncan said. No, 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 Klaus said. If Coach Skeen just thinks you're kicking a, his baby sister, he'll know something is up. I know, Violet said, and she leaned forward. 
and put her hand on Duncan's chest, running her fingers along his thick wool sweater until she found what she was looking for. Mm-hmm. Thread. A loose thread. Carefully, she pulled an un- unraveling sweater lightly until she had a good long piece of yarn. Then she snapped it off and tied one end around of the bag of flour. The other end she handed to Duncan. This should do it, she said. Sorry about your sweater. Well, I'm sure you can invent a sewing machine, he said. When we're all out of danger. We're, well, we'd better get go. We'd better get going, Isadora. Coach Gingus will be waiting. Good luck with your studies. Good luck with running laps, Klaus said. The Baudelaire's took a long look at their friends. They were reminded of the last time they saw their parents, waving goodbye to them as they left for the beach. They had not known, of course, that it would be the last moment that they would spend with their mother and father, and again and again each Baudelaire had gone back to that day in their lives, wishing that they had said something more than a casual goodbye. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny looked at the two triplets and hoped that this was not such the time a time when people they cared for would disappear from their lives forever. But what if it were? If we never see Violet stop swallowing again, and if something goes wrong? Duncan took Violet's hand and looked right at her. Violet saw Klaus's glasses and the serious look in Duncan's wide eyes. Nothing will go wrong, he said firmly. Nothing, of course. He was nothing, of course, he was wrong at that very moment. Oh, though, of course, he was wrong at that very moment. Nothing will go wrong at all. We'll see you in the morning, Baudelaire's. Isadora nodded solemnly and followed her brother back to the bag of flour anyways from the orphan shack. The Baudelaire... (sighs) The Baudelaire orphans watched them walk towards the front lawn until the triplets were merely two specks, dragging another speck along with them. You know, Klaus said, as they watched them from a distance in the dim light, they look quite a bit like us. Abex, Sunny agreed. I hope so, Violet murmured. I hope so, but in the meantime, we better stop thinking about them and get started on our, on our half of the plan. Let's put our noisy shoes on and go into the shack. I can't imagine how you're going to make staples, Klaus said, with only a fork, a few extra teaspoons, and cream spinach, and a small potato. That sounds more like ingredients for a side dish more than a staple-making device. I hope your invention skills haven't been dulled by the lack of sleep. Well, I don't think that they have been, Violet said. It's amazing how much energy you can have once you have a plan. Besides, my plan doesn't actually involve things that I snitched. It involves the orphans, orphan shack crabs in our noisy shoes. Now we have our shoes on. Please follow my instructions. Aw, did she get them dinner? That's cute. Peyton, did you fall asleep? Pepe, you better be waking up. Don't don't fall asleep. It's morning. <laughs> the two young younger Baudelaire's were quite puzzled at this, but they had learned a long, long ago that when it came to inventions, Violet could be trusted absolutely. In the recent past, she had invented a grappling hook, a lockpick, a signaling device, and now come hell or high water, an expression here which means using a fork, a few teaspoons, and cream spinach, and a small potato, a live crab, and noisy shoes. She was going to invent some staple-making devices. The three siblings put on their shoes and followed Violet's instructions and entered the shack. As usual, the tiny crabs were lounging around. 
taking advantage of their time alone in the shack when they wouldn't be frightened by the loud well when they wouldn't be frightened by loud noises on a, on most occasions the Baudelaire's would stomp wildly on the floor when they entered the shack and the crabs would scurry underneath the bales of hay into their hidden places in the room this time however violet instructed her siblings to step on the floor in careful arranging patterns so as to herd some of the grumpiest and biggest clawed crabs into the corner of the shack while the other crabs scattered this crab was trapped in the corner afraid of the noisy shoes but it but with nowhere to hide good work violet said keeping him in the corner keep him in the corner sunny while i while i ready the potato what's the potato for klaus asked as we know, Violet explained as Sunny tapped her little feet feet this way and that way to keep the crabs in the corner. The crabs love to get their claws on her toes. As specifically, snitched from a snitch a potato was a toe shape. You see how it's curved, a little sort of an oval like this way, a little bumpy part here like a toenail? You're right, Klaus said. The resemblance is remarkable, but what does it have to do with staples? Well, the metal rod that Nero gave us are very long and need to be clearly cleaned into small, staple-sized pieces. While Sonny keeps the crab on the corner, I'm going to wave the potato at him. He or she will come think of it. Uh, he or she come to think of it. I don't know how to tell a boy crab from a girl crab. It's a boy, Klaus said. Trust me. Well, he'll think of a toe. He'll think it's a toe, Violet continued, and snap with his claws. At that instant, I'll yank the potato away and put a rod in its place. If I do it carefully enough, the crab should do a perfect job of slicing it up. First things first, Violet replied firmly. Okay, Sunny said, keep tapping those noisy shoes. I'm ready with the potato and the rod number one. What can I do? Klaus said. You can start studying for the comprehensive exam, of course, Violet said. I couldn't possibly read all of Duncan's notes just in one night. While Sunny and I make the staples, you need to read Duncan's and Isidore's notebooks. Memorize and me the measurements from Mrs. Bass's class and teach me all of Mr. Romero's stories. Roger Klaus said, as you probably know, the middle Baudelaire was not referring to anybody named Roger. He was referring to a man to indicate that he understood that Violet, what Violet had said and would act accordingly. Did you know, have you ever heard somebody say Roger, Pepe, or Roger that, Peyton? Hmm. Have you ever heard somebody say Roger that? Hmm. No. My, my stepdad used to say that all the time. I would be on the phone and I would say something and he'd say, Roger, that means got it. Um, okay, that's exactly what he did. While Sunny used her noisy shoes to keep the crab in the corner, Violet had the potato as a toe and the crab's claw as a clean cut, as clean cutters. Oh my gosh, if those claws, those claws are sharp enough to cut metal, imagine what their feet look like. Yikes. Um, while Sunny had her noisy shoes to keep the potato... Blah, 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 the crab, 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 Klaus, and the blah, 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 where am I? Klaus used the quagmire notebooks to study for the comprehensive exams, and everything worked the way it should. This, then Sunny tapped her shoes so noisily that the crab remained trapped. Violet was so quick with the potato and the metal rods that soon they were snipped, snipped, they were snipped into staple-sized pieces, and Klaus, although had to squint because Duncan was using his glasses, Isadora's measuring notes so careful. Is it uh, reading? 
Isadora's measuring notes so carefully that before long he had mem- memorized the lengths, widths, and the depth of just about everything. Violet asked me to measure. Violet asked me to measure the navy blue scarf. Scarf, Klaus said, turning to the notebook over so he couldn't peek. Violet yanked the potato away just in time, and the crab snipped off another bit of metal rod. What are the measurements of the navy blue scarf? Two decimeters long, Klaus said, nine centimeters white and four millimeters thick. It's boring, but it's correct, Sonny. Ask me the measurements of the bar of the deodorant soap. The, the crab saw an opportunity to leave the corner, but Sonny was too quick for it. Soap, Sonny said. Sonny quizzed Klaus, tapping her tiny toes until the... Sh- crab retreated eight centimeters by eight centimeters by eight centimeters klaus said promptly that's an easy one you're doing great you two i bet that crab's going to be almost as tired as we are no violet said he's done let him go sonny we have some staple sized pieces indeed i'm so glad that part of the staple making process is over this is very nerve-wracking to test a crab well, what's next? Klaus said as the crab scurried away from the most frightened moments of his life. Next, you teach me Mr. Remora's stories. Violet said, while well, Sonny and I bend these little bits of rod into the proper shape. Shablo, Sonny said here, which means something like, how are we going to do that? Um, how are we going to do that? Watch, Violet said, and Sonny watched. While Klaus closed Isidore's black notebook and began Paging through Duncan's dark green one, Violet took a glob of creamed spinach all around and mixed it with a few pieces of stray of, of stray hay and dust until it was sticking to the gooey mess. Then she placed a fork on the spiky end a spiky end of wait, then she placed the this mess on the spiky end of the fork and stuck it into the bales of hay so that the handle end of the fork hung over. She blew on the cream spinach, stray, hay, and dust mix until it hardened. I always thought that proof rock prep creamed spinach looks awful sticky, Violet said, and then I realized it could be used as a glue. And now we have a perfect method of making into tiny those tiny strips into staples. See, if I lay a strip across the handle of the fork, the, a tiny part of the strip hangs over each side, and those are the parts that will go inside the the paper staple. Oh, those are the parts that go inside the paper with when it is a staple. And I take off, if I take off my noisy shoes, here Violet paused to take off her noisy shoes, and use the metal ends to tap on the strips, they'll bend around the handle of the fork and turn into a staple. See? <gasps> Kaiba, Sunny shrieked. She meant, you're a genius, but what can I do to help? You can keep your noisy shoes on your feet, Violet replied, to keep those crabs away from us. And Klaus, you start memorizing stories. Oh, you start summarizing stories. Roger, Sonny said. Roger, Klaus said, and once again, neither of them were referring to Roger. They meant, once again, that they understood what Violet said and would act accordingly. And all three Baudelaire's acted accordingly for the rest of the night. Violet tapped away at the metal at the metal strips and Klaus reached out from Duncan's notebook and Sunny stomped her noisy shoes. Soon the Baudelaire's had a pile of homemade staples on the floor, the details of Mr. Amora's stories in their brains, and not a single crab bothering them in the shack, and with the with the threat of Coach Gingus hovering over them, the evening actually began to feel rather cozy. 
It reminded the Baudelaire's of the evening that they had spent with their parents when they were alive in the living rooms of the Baudelaire mansion. Violet would often be tinkering away at some invention while Klaus would be reading and sharing some information that he was learning, and Sunny would be often making loud noises. Of course, Violet was not never tinkering frantically for an invention that could save their lives. Klaus was never reading something so boring, and Sunny was never making loud noises to scare off crabs. But nevertheless, as the night wore on, the Baudelaire's almost felt at home in their orphan shack, and when the sky began to lighten with the first rays of dawn, the Baudelaire's began to feel a certain thrill that was quite different from the thrill of being in disguise. It was a thrill that I have never felt in my life, and it was a thrill that the Baudelaire's did not feel very often, but as the morning <clears throat> sun began to shine, the Baudelaire orphans felt a thrill thinking of your pl- thinking that your plan might work after all, and perhaps they could in- eventually be safe and happy as the rest, as the evening that they remembered. Okay, are you ready for some hot chocolate, little girl? Peyton, little Peyton, little Peyton, poo. You want some hot chocolate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. I'm going to get this kid some hot chocolate, and then we're going to finish this book because we got two chapters left. Good? You good with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, bye.